Hello, everybody. Welcome to Baby Magic Granny Sense. I have today with us Sally. Um, we, I'm laughing because we just spent half an hour getting connected, and we spent reasonably, I think it's kind of months since we first mm-hmm. agreed we would chat. Um, but hello, yes. Sally. Welcome. Hello. You thank please... you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, so my name's Sally Golightly. Um, I, I I find it really hard when people ask what I what I do. Um, I guess uh, kind of fundamentally, I'm a I'm a doula, I'm a birth worker, um, ed, yeah, educator for antenatal education. Um, but I also do lots of other things um, around that as well. So I run circles to support women with their mental health, and also run training. Uh, creating circles to help give other people the skills and the confidence to hold safe spaces themselves. And I run so, a bit as well. Oh, <laughs> you run a bit. <laughs> That's an understatement. I run a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been I've been looking at the things that you write and and the and the the words that you use and one of the I I love words I've been um, whenever I find a, a a good look a good looking word I always look it up and I find the root and I I I, I love using them and I love knowing about them so could you talk to us about the word liminal and and how it relates to what you do. Yeah, that's really interesting. Really good question to start with. So, um, yeah, liminal is uh, transition. So, you know, periods of, of transition, moving from one thing to the next. And I, I think I've like I've come across the the concept quite recently, maybe the past year year or so. Um, but for me, it really encapsulated really quite succinctly what my what my work is about and what I think it's always been about. So. Before I started work as a as a doula and a, an antenatal uh, practitioner, I was a, a probation officer uh, for fourteen years. So um, a lot of my work involved supporting people in their transitions from the community into prison, and then from prison into the community. Um, yeah, managing managing change in in that respect. And then I became pregnant with my first child in 2009. And I think perhaps like many people, I decided that that wasn't going to change me in any way. What I was simply going to do was um, add a child to my to my life. So I, I'd worked very hard to be where I was professionally. And I really loved my job and felt that I would do that until until I retired. And I was simply having a baby. That was that was all that was going to happen. Um, and actually what, what ended up happening was that I, um, I, I had quite, quite a challenging pregnancy in that I felt that I was being pushed down a route that I didn't, didn't want and I didn't need. And I felt like I had to fight quite hard to, to be heard. And that felt really challenging, particularly when I worked in a, in, in, in the public sector and I was used to. Um, supporting other people like working within it within a framework um, it felt really quite challenging being at the other end of that and I found that I wasn't able to articulate and communicate and 
I just felt like I, I just wasn't heard. Um, and I found that really frustrating um, that I wasn't able to do that for, for myself. Um, and, and in the end, I, I mean, I, I did. And, and I had a really positive, empowering birth experience um, with my first baby. And that, that really kind of changed the trajectory of, of my work and my life. Um, and it like I think when people look at it from the outset, they're like they think it's quite random that you know I've, I've moved from um, work as a probation officer to to then birth work. Uh, but for me, they both involved these liminal spaces, like these points of transition, and um, yeah, passing from from one one thing to to another. You know, instead of from prison to to the community it was from pregnancy to, to birth and and the transition into parenthood um and then it, like I guess the kind of the more that I kind of go through life I think we find ourselves in these liminal spaces and people generally don't talk about how we navigate them so you know thinking about all the liminal spaces you know death and the menopause and quitting jobs leaving relationships you know they're all things that like most of us kind of experience but we don't we don't talk about how we navigate that enough we we really don't no not at all now that I'm I'm um getting older and being a grandmother and I mean I you know people started getting up for me on the bus already five five years ago but I I I, it's just funny, you know, I remember one time I had actually just run a half marathon and I got on the bus and, and this just lovely young man got up and <laughs> gave me a seat and I was like, thank you so much. But um, I know it wasn't because, you know, I'd just run it because uh, I look old, you know, so, so, but those transitions, the, the aging transitions, and you're absolutely right, we just mm. don't have any language to speak about them. Mm. So. So yeah, your, I think that's your it, work, isn't it? Like words. Yeah, the the language and the, and the time as well, because it's supposed to be that we just kind of do things and, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I found that in, you know, certainly in the like the creative spaces that I've I've opened. Um, I guess what's what's pretty unique about the circles that I've held, um, not completely, but um is that we've got a broad spectrum of experience we've got a broad spectrum of of age range and for me that's really crucial that's really important I think it's really helpful when you've got a toddler or a little baby I think it's really helpful to hear about what it's like further down the line like nobody ever told me about you know we talked about tantrums and teething and uh, and weaning but what nobody told me about was the continual grief that you feel as your children grow like it's immensely like it's you're proud and it's like amazing to watch but there's all that so this letting go and yeah and it's constant yeah, I can only describe it as a kind of loss um, yeah yeah it's really constant and bittersweet of your whole life 
yeah yeah it doesn't ever go away and and yeah in in the in the circles that I've that I've held I think what's happened is that as people talk about their experiences and where they're at it helps other people find the words to describe what they're feeling whether it's the same or not you know so it it sounds to me that as as a you just you seem so busy. You work you work as a doula, a, po- a birth and postpartum. You mm-hmm. you lead your creating circles course. You're a mother and a grandmother, and you run. What ties everything together mm-hmm. for you? Um, like how do I how do I balance the things that. Yes. Yeah. Because the question is, how, oh, how do you do it all? Because I know how it is to do a lot of things. And I think any mother really does know that. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say, how do you, yes, how do you balance? How does it, how do you tie it together so you don't feel desperate all the time? Yeah, I guess. So for me, it took a while before I realized that that movement was important to me. I think I spent a lot of years being very sedentary and quite happy with that. Um, I, after I had my first, my husband started running and then I had my second baby and I just noticed that he was like, he was spending a lot of time like outside and it really helped him to, to decompress. And, and so I started, I started running small loops and and what I noticed was that I felt better. So when when movement was in my diary and when, when movement was in my week, it made other things feel feel a lot better. So what I was able to do when being outside and being in nature, it just helped me to decompress and to process things. And quite often I would um, just, I don't know, I just like just kind of work things through in my head in a way that perhaps wasn't wasn't always conscious but I would come back and you know perhaps have an idea for um like a social media post or an idea for 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 a group that I might want to want to run so I think I think movement really helps like that massively helps um but I'm also um becoming to realize that I also need rest as well and I, I I do enter like I enter races and that helps me to work towards things so it helps me to um it helps motivate me to get out because there's a purpose to getting out but I can also feel quite tired as well and if I feel pressured to get out so if I feel pressured to do the mileage then then it doesn't work for me it's just something else to feel stressed about um so I think kind of knowing my body and knowing my head and you know if I'm feeling kind of anxious if I'm not if I'm feeling out of sorts about you know with something then just stopping and kind of unpicking and and working out what what that is and and quite often it's because I haven't listened to my body I haven't listened to to what I need whether that's um movement or whether it's being still as well whether it's decompressing and, and 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 resting I think so many mothers from from newborn mothers all the way through up until I don't know when find it hard to rest. Mm. You know, there's always something yeah, I think or other. We've to, got a kind of glorification of being busy. Yeah. 
yeah i mean so yeah. many times you ask someone how they are and they say busy and that's i guess supposed to be something good or yeah it's it's it seems to be yeah, something I think... that we say a lot not sure it's a great thing to be busy all the time yeah i think um yeah as well as I've, I've i'm just kind of like learning what what works for me i've always i've always had a few things on i've always needed um to to juggle a few things like i think yeah. it helps keep my keep me interest yeah. um in you know interested and kind of moving forward so I, you know I, I i do need i do need to have a few different plates spinning i find that um stimulating and interesting um but it, it like it's it's really tricky to kind of keep that going but also yeah factoring in the the, the rest as well so specifically the work that you do do you, do you find that you're that running long distances has informed that and helped you with your work uh, could you just repeat the question running, running long distances has it helped you does it inform your work what I mean to say is, um, the, yeah, yeah. What I find, I mean, I do. What I find really interesting about the running, and I'm not sure. We we were just chatting about your half, your half marathon. I don't like. I'm not sure what what kind of races you've done before, but I I quite like the long ones, and I quite like going into the night. Um, and the the kind of races that I do are very similar to uh, birth work and 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 being at a birth. I mean, yeah. you know when it'll end. That's the only difference. Yeah. Like you know where the finish line is. But I think you, yeah, yeah you exactly. Certainly, certainly, in other races, like you get, you know what I mean. Like that kind of you get to that breaking point. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you. I, I actually wrote a really fun little blog post uh, a few years ago. I, I started running late, and I, I, I actually, my newfound love is trail running. But I, I did because I live in a city, so I'd, I've done a couple of marathons, and and I, the longer the distance, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, the better. I'm slow, but whatever. I'm 65, <laughs> so I'm not expecting myself to go very fast. But Brilliant. Um, after I ran my first marathon, I, I wrote a little blog post about how lovely it is when you're running a marathon no one tells you you might throw up or you might you know get chilled or you might feel like you can't do it or you know like no one says oh you need an IV because like yeah. you know you're thirsty no. or like oh I don't think you can do it because you don't think you can do it so let's carry you off on a stretcher and give you yeah. an epidural like it's just like you go yeah. girl and like have a little thing of water and have some orange slices and and I yeah. think and the and the mind yeah, games you're, you're just, sorry, go you're, on. yeah no you're just speaking exactly the the words that I I really hear what you're saying <laughs> but you were just yeah, going to make an interesting point really about the mind games about it yeah um yeah I think it kind of was from like you don't get anybody saying oh you can't you can't do it um like the stories that you tell yourself when you're in a race uh you know uh, uh, what kind of get you through birth or what or what you 
what you use to help people um, who, who, are, who are giving birth. And, you know, I can always describe in kind of antenatal education that people who, after they've had their babies, those, those women who have described their birth as pain-free don't report higher satisfaction than those that report some level of, of pain. So some level of pain increase like relates to increased satisfaction with their birth so I think there's a whole kind of notion in the west that and and other countries I'm sure like that no pain increases satisfaction with birth or increases a positive like correlation with birth and so we become fixated on this um you know this kind of aim of of, of having a pain-free birth um and and you know uh, you know whatever that kind of looks like but actually, we know we know from the studies that that's not not true. Like those that are most satisfied with their birth also describe some level of pain and discomfort. And I think the only the only other area of life that I've experienced that is in long distance running. Like you would never have somebody who has run a marathon or even done a long distance walk. You know, so I, so I often describe like you know sponsored walking. People don't describe it as pain free they describe it with some level of discomfort and pain and that's varying but they also describe that satisfaction that comes with that like they're both like the opposite sides of the same coin but that's that's kind of part of the deal isn't it that's the, yeah. that's the package and then it becomes about how we how we manage it's interesting that. yeah and the satisfaction of 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 being in the driver's seat and and dealing with it how oh, you yeah. know however one decides to deal with it but it's interesting, yeah. the whole uh, concept yeah. of pain-free childbirth actually uh, started in, the, in, in communist Russia in the, in the 40s, um, and it was, okay. a, it was a male doctor that, uh, that decided this, this whole kind of theory of, of how the, you know, the, the, the Soviet women could give birth more effectively without feeling pain and so it's it never came from us that we shouldn't feel pain when we're giving birth and that we can't just feel the pain and get through the pain and then you know have have the baby but yeah it's 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 in everything i mean so much of the yes well they took it up but it, uh, they didn't look at the yeah. root. That's why my word, my my word is radical, and I don't mean you know carrying banners or anything. I mean looking at the root of things. If you actually look at the root of yeah. things, the the way you know the the I would say the, the feminist way of of looking at childbirth would be more you know accepting that women are strong and women can feel pain and and just as just as yeah. you know running 50k you're going to for sure feel some pain through it but you'll get to the end or not <laughs> you know but it's still yeah. your real experience and you being on in the driving seat of that is so important you know if you if you decide to stop you decide something like that's important it's you know quite often when we when i hear stories of birth trauma it's it's about people not being listened to you know it's about those who are who are caring like not not listening to what that you know what the woman wants in labor 
you know it's not necessarily about how yes how babies are born it's about absolutely and it isn't who who it's about the 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 woman herself feeling like she is the center of attention and the center of the event i've had um yeah. uh i i i attended someone years ago it must have been 15 years ago and she really was traumatized she it was her second baby she had her first very quickly without any interventions for the second she wanted to have an epidural mm-hmm. the nurse didn't let her and by the end of it she yeah. by after the birth she told me you know i just that was what i wanted you know it was my choice i wanted yeah. it yeah. it wasn't for anyone else to tell me yeah. what i want you know what i could have or or, or shouldn't have so yes absolutely and i mean the ridiculous thing when you when you compare giving birth to to really any kind of running even if you like i went on i my 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 running buddy uh has had three three years bout of of uh going through cancer and so she we 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 went on a 3k run for the first time since she got sick and it wasn't a run it was a very slow walk but we did it. No one told her that, you know, she couldn't do it. And it's so funny when yeah. when we're actually bringing humans into the world, you know, instead of running around, a, yeah. you know, whatever, that we're told yeah. that we can't do it. And I think that there's something very, very mm-hmm. radical about, I mean, I think we need to look at why that's happening. And yeah. And I think that part of it is exactly what you were saying about when you were talking about the word liminal, that we don't know how mm-hmm. to deal with transitions. Yeah. So tell us more about creating circles. Yeah, so creating circles um, was my lockdown baby. So um, I'd been... I'd been running a group called Maternal the Journal. The podcast was my lockdown. Uh, oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? We just get creative in, in lockdown. Um, yeah, I'd been running a group called yeah. Maternal Journal for a couple of years, and I'd, I'd come across Maternal Journal. Um, it was the, the idea of a midwife in, in London, midwife and, and artist. Um, called Laura Godfrey Isaacs and as soon as I heard it I just immediately resonated with it so I'd, I'd always journaled and uh, and um, yeah it just seemed like such a valuable resource you know resource um, and then I I sat in a different so I've always kind of sat in circles I perhaps sat in my, my first one kind of over a decade ago and, and certainly felt that there was something different within the, a circle space so you have somebody facilitate, facilitate on a theme. They may like open the circle. Um, there might be art-based things or um, other, other creative endeavors, or it, it might be more ceremony-led. But ultimately, you're you're holding the space as a facilitator and enabling the people sitting in the circle to to come forwards and and, and to share. Um, and actually, the kind of power of circles is in is in who's there and who shows up and how you know how they you know how, how they share and, and tell their stories um 
And what I began to notice was that, you know, some circles worked really effectively and really well and felt very safe spaces and others didn't. And I also spoke to quite a few doulas and peers who wanted to start their own circles, their own spaces um, for lots of different, you know, different ideas. And I'd always had it in my mind to train like provide um training to support people in in holding their own their own circles and and actually what lockdown did was give me the space and time to to really do that and I yeah I went on holiday like it was two years ago now I went on holiday to the highlands with a notebook and just and just wrote it yeah wrote wrote the plan um you know, wrote what it was about and the kind of concept of it. You know, my, you know, I kind of strongly feel that people can't hold space and run circles unless they have an opportunity to do that themselves. And so the the course is interactive, it's supportive. We are exploring how circles work whilst sitting in a circle. And to do that, people need to be brave and they need to be vulnerable and you know they need to they need to give of themselves and and so yeah it's it's just such a magic place to to be but once it's set up it's it's really amazing to see where where the circle takes it i've never i've never run one that's exactly the same just because the people who are there are, are very different But yeah, it's really, really interesting. So, uh, is it mostly in, is it mostly in the birth work kind of, um, kind of world, or because uh, I mean, you can do circles in any kind of field, right? Mm-hmm. So, what do you, the people that take your your course, yeah. are they mostly birth workers or, yeah. yeah. Um, I, had a, I had a list. I had a list written different fields. Yeah. So, um, before lockdown, I'd I'd gone back to university and studied adult education, and w- with a view to tutoring um, for, for for the NCT, and that kind of gave me, uh, you know, I'd had the kind of years of experience of facilitating facilitating groups, but going back to uni kind of gave me the theory to to. Um, to explore what was happening, what was happening in, um, in, in, in learning spaces. And what I, so what I thought when I launched circles, I thought that other doulas would come. So other doulas would come who perhaps wanted to run creative journaling sessions or, um, post postpartum sessions. Um, but I, but I purposefully set it up so that we were giving the skills rather than the content. So, I, we, you know, we, we deep dive into the skills and the practice and, and, and exploring what makes circles feel safe and what makes them feel unsafe and, and what do we need in order to show up and, and make a start, um, you know, what, what helps us to step forward in, in these spaces because it'll be the same for, for other people. Um, and so, I, you know, I thought it would be people that, you know, perhaps had a similar, a similar path. What I 
didn't want to do is create a content that was really rigid. So I, I could have quite easily um, given people the format of, of, of what to do in those circles. But I felt that in, in doing that, I was restricting people to only create circles that were in my mind. And actually, if, if people were able to bring what they were interested in, we would have a far broader spectrum of, of circle work. Um, and yeah, I give people content, but I give it right at the end, if I give it at all, um, just because people come with their own ideas. So yeah, we've had um, a whole range of, uh, of people come on the course. So we've had, we've had doulas and midwives and birth workers. Um, we've had lawyers and physios and um, three PhD students. Interestingly, I've, we've had a few people that have come who are in a liminal space themselves. So perhaps um, following a bereavement or um, having time off work um, or having resigned from, from work. But there's a kind of commonality in the people that, that, that come is that, that they, they want more, like they feel like there's something more that they want in their work. Um, and it just, like for me, it just feels like soul work. You know, I think if you feel that pull to to create mm. these spaces, it's hard not to listen to that. Like it's hard not to listen to it. Well, it's very valuable work, and I'm really, I'm really uh, happy that I, I'm happy that I met you, so that you can you can spread the mm. word. It's just so important. I think that. Um, Many of us these days are building some foundations, um, especially since the pandemic hit. Yeah. I think that we're building foundations of, I don't know how to say it, maybe just foundations of that we can that <laughs> we can rely on more than what we've had for the past, you know, few hundred years, especially for women. Yeah. I would say. I think people are fi feeling a really strong. And it's funny because I, uh, I and yes, very yeah, strong. Like a, um, I I'm not sure how me. it is in in your community, but here in yeah, I had Sorry? one person come to me and say, um, I had one person who came to um, creating circles. I was having a dialogue with them before they joined, and they. And they said, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that I want to do. I don't know what circles I want to create. But I'll, all I do know is that I don't want this. You know, where I am at the moment, I don't want this. Um, yeah. Is that enough? <laughs> and I yeah. said, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. Like, it's enough to say this, this doesn't resonate anymore. Yeah. Yes. And that's happening, I think, all over the world. And I think it's a moment yeah. where we can where we can uh, put some seeds in, and and hopefully they'll grow into more of a possibly gentle place. Yeah. I I I wrote like a question kind of that I was going to ask you. Uh, it, Go on. Sorry, there's a bit of a clash, isn't there? When we talk, um, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep talking. No it's worries. interesting. Like we've we just both finished have so much to say. Um, <laughs> I know. 
Um, we've just finished a session today, so it's the last one of the of the spring circles course. And and one of the themes that was coming out quite strongly is this perception of how we've we've viewed um, education and academia and status and you know um, certainly in the UK like a lot of um, a lot of credence is given to accreditation and university and and qualifications and and I think within that there's a kind of model of education that that sees the facilitator as the teacher and the font of all knowledge that is imparting wisdom to mm-hmm. you know to the, the people who, who they're sat the sat before and really circle spins that on its head so you know I know some stuff like you know I'm an experienced facilitator I've you know you know you know gone to uni to 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 explore um adult education and, and 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 group work skills but I'm also acutely aware that I don't know how other people feel in the circle and also they're like they've got so much to to bring and to give as well and I think we just get so much more from that. And, and what I noticed in, like, in this last session is that what people were remembering were, it was some of what I would said, you know, some of what I'd said, they'd said, you know, I remember that's really stuck with me, that's really landed with me. But what had also landed with them is what other people had shared. And, and that's what Circles is about. It's like, you know, kind of viewing people's autonomy and stories and, and giving them information, but enabling them to make sense of that in their own worlds, like assimilate that with what they know and their own prior learning and experience. Because that's what we do. Like, you know, we do that anyway in education, but I think there's a whole big emphasis on, you know, reading the reading lists and churning out churning out essays. And I'm not sure how productive that is. You yeah. know, I, I guess it kind of meets the need of a, a small group of people, but actually you know most people you know integrate it in other ways and I that's what I I kind of really like about the framework of of how creating circles is structured is that it meets people where they're at you know um I've been thinking a lot about that myself and and uh I'm starting a a course in in January 2023. I'm I'm teaching a both attendant course, and it's it's really so deep because you have knowledge as a doula. You have knowledge about both. That is different from a woman that you're mm-hmm. accompanying. So, for example, if she, mm-hmm. you know, if something's going a little odd, and she tells you, you will know that that might be a red flag. And she won't know mm-hmm. that. And so the whole concept of experts is 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 such a difficult one when you're talking about women and their bodies and their babies. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I stopped yeah. doing and, uh, doula work was because I, I started knowing much more than many of the medical residents, and they resented it. And I didn't want mm-hmm. a feeling of resentment in the birth room. So yeah. it's a very complicated you know the whole question of knowledge and expertise and uh, and then immediately authority yeah it's a really kind of delicate balance to to navigate and yeah i mean kind of as i think how i how i approach it as a as a as a trainer and as a facilitator in terms of antenatal education is kind of drawing out what people already know 
and then and then delicately kind of weaving in other things you know people I think do they need like 14 exposures to something before they like recognize like recognize it it's like it's a long time for people to kind of assimilate new new learning and um and I start on the off like that you know in whatever spaces I hold I'll say some of the things that I talk about will confirm what you thought and some of it will challenge it and 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 learning isn't always like comfortable you know it, it can be it can make us uncomfortable and the skill of the facilitator or the trainer is to is to hold that hold that space it can Another make us space. very uncomfortable if we if we realize that we're learning something that is that is that is opposite to what we've believed up until now and very tempting to believe. So changing your mind and admitting that perhaps your original ideas weren't the right ones is such a difficult thing to do and so yeah. unpopular. And it, yeah. And I think it's got to be done with tenderness, hasn't it? It's got to be done with love. Hello again. We're we're doing um, part two because technology failed us last time. So I'm meeting up with Sally again for some more questions and and chats and and good energy. Um, hello, Sally. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I've I've gotten on a little bit of a different uh, different tangent for part two, and I. I actually watched a really inspiring documentary yesterday. It's about Stephanie Case. She's the woman who um, created Free to Run, um, that is an organization that helps uh, girls and women in conflict-ridden areas to 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 get out and do sports, to run, to hike, to to get empowered with with play. Um, and she actually came third place in a 450-kilometer run in in Italy um, back in in last year. And and she's amazing. And she talks a lot about women in sports, particularly endurance sports, and how we're, um, you know, we're not as hidden here as we are in Afghanistan, but we're still hidden. Um, so yeah. could you talk to me about that? Talk to me about being an ultra runner. What does it feel like to run the distances that you do? And, and how do you feel when you've done it? And how do you feel as a woman running those kinds of distances um oh that's lots of big big questions so I think I'm not sure um kind of over my life whether well yeah whether whether running was really encouraged I think it was but perhaps not as much for me as as my brother and never really had a particular kind of interest to 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 run you know certainly through my teens and and 20s um I I kind of came at it just so that I could spend some time by myself and um spend some time to to decompress and didn't yeah I, I kind of came to it because somebody said it's a nice day out you get to eat lots of food and um you know, and, and just keep moving, and and I thought, well, that sounds okay. You know, the the food at the the, event, the first event that I did was quite well renowned for being for being good, 
and and actually what happened in that race was that a lot of people dropped out the weather was quite bad and I actually like found myself quite up not not like not up at the front at all but just with a lot of like more experienced runners than a lot of men and um and that felt really quite quite powerful <laughs> um and yeah I, I, yeah I, I think I just expected it to be like steady and slow and away but actually during during that race I think I learned so much about myself in terms of perseverance and um what I was capable of and it tapped into something I think that was far greater than anything else I'd experienced from a sports perspective so I always found um running and any type of physical activity really quite quite difficult and not not really worth it but actually what happened after that race is that I felt really empowered and came out feeling um that I'd just tapped into something that was incredible um and like for me the kind of closest analogy that I've like the the closest I've experienced to that has been has been birth um in terms of it being quite transformative and tapping it is not necessarily something that's easy like it's very challenging and tricky but um the sense of achievement afterwards is yeah is 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 quite is, you know it's quite quite similar um and i felt that i don't know as a woman as a woman i think it is harder to access these things i think there's things like throughout society and and culturally that make it that make it harder for women to move and and harder for women to move long distances not least because you know caregiving tends to fall to us um in a way that I don't think is the same for fathers who who run um yeah I don't know so when you what's the longest you've ever run um so I I don't know if it was documented as a I can't remember what it was advertised at. I think it was advertised at 100 miles and it was nearly 110 by the end of it. Um, and so what the, was like, the proportion uh, of uh, women to men when, when you ran that one? Uh, I'm not sure, but a lot of the races I've been in, like the vast, like I've never been where there's been an equal field of men and women. And yeah, a lot of the I races think... that I've been in, they've tried to see more women to run. Yeah. Because trail running is really different that way. Road running is pretty well, I, I don't know, in North America, it's pretty well evening out. Um, but trail running is so different that way. And partly because of that whole sense of, oh, dear, you shouldn't be on the woods in, on your own, You're in the woods on your own. What, yeah, what, so what that, could happen to I mean, you? That's some, yeah. I mean, that's something that I've really kind of wrestled with. So I live uh, I live near the Mars. Um, near the Pennine Way which is a, a route in the UK that kind of runs up the spine of England and um, there was a, a murder of a of a woman in, in Ireland a few few months ago yeah maybe last year and uh, and lots of advice came out then about don't run on your own don't run at night um, you know run with your car keys 
there's lot tell people where you're going so you know immediately the information that was that came out to women runners was to curtail their behavior you know yeah. curtail your behavior make adjustments and then you won't you won't get killed or you won't get assaulted and that weekend I was I'd, I'd planned to run at night down the Pennine Way so I was just going to go um by myself and and I just and in the morning I just kind of flicked on Instagram and and Dame Kelly Holmes, you know, well, well um, respected and accomplished athlete, had had put a post out um, saying, "Yeah, this is how you keep yourself safe. You know, don't run at night, don't do this, don't do that." And in the bottom of my stomach, I just thought, "I'm making the wrong decision here. Like maybe I shouldn't go out tonight." And then it got me really angry, and I thought, "No, I should go out. I've planned to yeah. go out. I am going to go out." Like, I shouldn't have to curtail my behaviour because of what a man's done and what men do. And so, yeah, I went out and had a really good run. But I just thought, you know, like running at night makes me feel free. And I really love it. I think we tap into something that's so um, primal that it's just incredible being up on the moors with a head torch on your own. And... I just remember thinking, don't take this away from me. Don't take this away from me. You know, don't tell women that they can't do this because we're just—it's just setting us back. So right, here's yeah, the out. thing, though, that I was thinking just when you said that, don't take it away from us. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same in both, because what what happens yeah. is no one. It's not like in Afghanistan where you know the the fathers of young women and girls are actually you know locking them in the house no one's actually Mm -hmm. taking it away from us we're taking it away from ourselves with the fear and and that's exactly what happens in the birth world you know oh well i think i'll go to the hospital with this obgyn who i don't like who's scaring me because what if what if something happens so i want to be safe you know i don't want to have an epidural but what if you know what if something happens? And it's exactly the same. We could just all sit in bubble wrap with IVs on the whole time instead of ever doing anything. And I think we're we're our own yeah. worst enemies in in so very many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And you have it, yeah, my I just full and utter respect. I just <laughs> I I just love the idea of you running through the moors with a with a with a headlamp on. I I love that. Yeah. I uh I'm not that yeah. brave yet. I think I've, women yeah. women are told too much like about what to do with their bodies and what not to do with their bodies. There's just so much pressure on that that actually to swim against it is really hard. Um you know if everybody else is saying this is what you should be doing then it it takes a lot of confidence and and gut and yeah kind of grit determination to step away from that and think no it's not it's not right well it either takes confidence and guts and determination or it takes a kind of a childish willfulness because my 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 very (laughs) lucky memory is um of when I was a young teenager and I grew up next to the Rockies in in Canada and I used to hitchhike out to the mountains and 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 hike and and run on my own completely I never thought about it I never thought about scary wild animals or, or scary humans. I, 
yeah. I was just enjoying myself. So I think if we can tap into that, you know, yeah. reasonably naive childish innocence to have fun, then 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 that's valuable too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's yeah a lot of kind of a lot of emphasis is placed on what people were doing and where people were going. I mean, the irony is that the you know the woman that I um, talked about earlier was that the whole narrative around um, when she was murdered was about um, she was just going for a run. You know, that was what we what was reported. She was just going for a run. So actually, she was running at daytime. She was running in a busy place. All the things that people have, you know, were then telling women not to do, actually, it didn't apply to her, you know, because she was, you know, she, she was doing, I don't know, oh, what was perceived so as something safe. Yeah. yeah. And, and that didn't save her. Actually, that didn't save her. And, and so it isn't that, women need to change it's actually society's behavior and how we report that and and how men behave that that need to change so So when you go out running do you listen to music sometimes um i never used to do but because i enjoyed um having the quiet so i enjoy um listening to nothing um particularly when I first started and had young children at home actually the opportunity of going out running and not having anything to hear <laughs> apart from um nature was just really yeah. lovely and I'm pretty sure that sometimes I could hear my children <laughs> shouting <laughs> mom, um, even though I was miles away um but now I, I do mix it up just because you know sometimes with the longer runs uh yeah, I, I want something else. So sometimes I'll listen to podcasts or audible or or music. Um, just to, it just helps distract me and, and help me kind of stay out longer. Well, if you have a favorite playlist, I'd love for you to send it over. I'll put it in the show notes for the for the podcast. I'm always interested <laughs> in what other people are listening to. Uh, yeah, I can do it. It's really random. Lovely. <laughs> I will do. So always something to kind of help me move, like keep me moving. A little bit of black-eyed yeah. peas in there. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about your your beautiful creating circles. And I was thinking yeah. about it. And you were talking about tenderness and love. Um, mm. What would you say is the most important quality that a person needs to hold when they're leading a circle? Just one. Just one's hard. Um, I think probably, I think to be able to truly, like, listen and hear what other people are saying in the circle um, without turning it and orientating it to themselves, without them thinking about, how they're going to respond or or the experiences that they've had um you know to truly kind of sit with someone and kind of understand where they're coming from i think it takes some uh, you know kind of curiosity um to really hear people and not make assumptions that their perception of the world or uh, different things that are discussed are, are the same and 
yeah, you know, kind of patience in doing that. I think it takes confidence to step back and listen and 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 allow, you know, it, that kind of helps others, enables others to then step forward and, and and take up space. And I think we've got so much more to learn from people when when we have that curiosity and when we when we we listen to them in a way that helps us to hear what they're saying. It's interesting when you just said uh, that allows them to take up space, and that's exactly what we were just talking about, to take up space in, the, in our own birthing experiences, to take up space in the, in, on the trails, mm-hmm. to take up space as, as active yeah. and, and powerful yeah. humans in the world. Yeah. And, have, and, and to have do it the, with that. You know, start with the premise. <laughs> to, yeah, to, to kind of start with the premise that other people are the authority in their lives. Yeah. You know, and that they know what's best. They know what's best for them, uh, you know, and their births and, and how they're going to run a race. Like, they know their bodies, ultimately. Yeah. And, yeah, and in circle work, when we're holding space, we're just holding space so people can can think that through and turn that over in their in their heads and tap into what what feels right for them i think the world is you know has has enough experts like it has enough uh, viewpoints and standpoints and, and and experts in particular fields but there's something about um growing that in in other people or enabling other people to to find themselves and find what's right with them I think like the older I get like the more the less I know I've just got more questions <laughs> I had a, a an experience in a circle um a few years ago and and um I'm going to tell you what it was and and I wonder how how you unfold this in terms of well let me tell you the story first i i I started running retreats up in my mountain hideaway up here um, just be- well the year before COVID, unfortunately, um, and the so one of them was a women's healing retreat, basically healing from just the busyness of our lives. So it was an unplugging, um, un yeah. just re- retreating, retreating from the world, lots of long walks. Every morning we had uh-huh. a circle. One of the one of the participants yeah. in the circle was much more needy than the other, than the others, and because we were mm-hmm. all reasonably well versed in, in actually holding space for others, um, yeah. we decided almost non-verbally and almost as an organism to to, to let that person, let's say, I guess, mm, access a lot of the sympathy and compassion in the in the circle. Uh-huh. So, what what I'm wondering about, especially nowadays, it seems to me that so many people are so needy right now because of the pandemic uh-huh. and because of the isolation and all the things. How do we how do we open up that 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 tap of of compassion and and let it run its course and not limit it? or not have to make those decisions about who who gets to access it and and so i guess i'm asking as a so as a challenge for someone who's actually hold, holding a circle what do you do in those instances where 
it seems like absolutely everyone has such need. Yeah, I think um, I think we can have where everybody has such need, but contribute in a way that's balanced and is sharing space. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has an equal opportunity to talk, because there might be some people in the circle who are quite happy to to listen. And certainly, um, in some of the the most powerful circles I've been in. Um, have been where there's been quieter people and the quieter members of the circle and then they've messaged me afterwards and said I haven't spoken about what's happening for me in my life but actually this space has enabled me to reflect on what's happening and I've made like significant changes as a result of being there so I think it's not necessarily that everybody has to contribute to to be of benefit but I do think um we need to be very careful when we're in circles if it gets to the point where it feels like the circle is therapy for one person mm. and what can happen is that other people in the circle then feel not heard and begin you know begin to feel uh, silenced or inhibited or um like quite simply not having their needs met and, you know, certainly I've seen it with parents of, of younger children. You know, quite often circle work is a way, you know, is a, a means of being held and and being heard um, where perhaps their days might be filled with little people that are, are, are talking a lot and, and, and making various demands on their time. Um, stepping into a circle is really important that, they've got the space just to be and if they step into a circle where there's one person who's dominating that it be I think it's really hard because they then have spent all day listening to a little person and then they move into a circle where they're spending all their evening listening to to somebody else and um I don't yeah I think that's that's really challenging and and some of that can be about I don't know, some of it can be resolved by how it's set up at the beginning. Some of it might be done collectively as a group. So acknowledging, like, how does this feel? How would we like like it to feel? Um, and for the group to, to share that balance. And, you know, and sometimes it might just be about talking, talking to the person that, you know, that perhaps is doing most of the, the talking in the circle. Uh, yeah, because the, the premise of the circle is that, that we all come together and we take up the same amount of space. You know, we don't, we don't take from other people. So I think, you know, certainly the key is about balancing that so that everybody is, is heard or feels that they have an opportunity to hear. Um, and in some circles it's done in different ways so in some circles it might be that they put in some quiet time for reflection um, in other circles they might um, start with those kind of group rules so there's that cohesive agreement um, in other ways they might have a, a talking piece or a talking stick so that people have their dedicated time to talk and then it and it's passed around and it's moved around but I really think it's the the skill of the facilitator to ensure that there's that there's that balance 
Yeah, I think there's a certain agility that we're talking about here that is really that is really important. And I feel like also we're talking about um the spaces between um you know the silences the 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 talking and then the silences again and and that is echoing what we were talking about before we started recording just the the understanding that the body needs to rest and recover as well as yeah. you know exert so those 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 interesting back and forth uh, movements between between silence and speaking and between active and rest is 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 so interesting and and you know when i don't think we're used to doing that we're used to um we're used to filling the silences you you can feel awkward as facilitators and i think that's sometimes what what happens that you know we're used to more of a you know perhaps teacher-led or lecture-led approach where we feel as a circle holder we need to be doing doing the work or the talking or stepping in um and actually one of the first things that we that we explore on circles is silence and and how that feels and and to play with that and to and and to allow silence Um, because often it's an indication that somebody's reflecting on what's being said in the room you know it's often that they're going inwards and and turning over the discussions and it's a, a crucial part of then move you know moving the circle on moving the circle forward so the final question that i have for you is is because we were talking quite a we've been talking the whole time about transitions um what do you think the key is for our culture to to be able to better hold and honor transitions um yeah i i think perhaps how we used to do it would be through uh, dialogue and discussion and for it to be at home and within the community and talked about more and there would be ritual associated with transitions um i think i think what would make transitions easier is to reconnect with that and you know what helps people to kind of navigate changes in their lives uh, to speak with other people who've either made those changes or um or can or can hold that space and and witness how, how that feels i don't yeah i don't think we do that i think the kind of narrative is to rush people through transitions um, and I think it's done with compassion. I think, you know, we don't want to see people hurting. And so if we offer solutions and try and make things better, then there's a perception that a person will move, move through transitions quicker. But actually um, honouring um, all the feelings associated with change and, and death and grief and loss, and it's not necessarily just uh you know it's not we're not just talking about death but we can be talking about um loss and whatever whatever format um that's easier when we're kind of witnessing and held through that and we're allowed to to process how that feels 
uh, you know, we're allowed to hurt, I guess. It's like it's it's quite simply, isn't it? It's powerful. You know, that's that's important. I was working with uh, a woman um, last summer. She gave birth last summer. I I, I did um, really extensive prenatal, um, really fun actually prenatal. It wasn't a course or anything. We just we spoke every Sunday morning. She told me it was kind of like going to church for her. It was every Sunday morning at eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday, oh. we would speak for an hour. Yeah, and. Um, and we spoke about everything, poetry, her pregnancy, where she wants to give birth, how she's mm-hmm. planning her birth, her midwives, everything. And it was really lovely. And then yeah. um, she had the babies. She had a really, really wonderful birth experience. And then a couple months after that, her father died. And she was just... Uh-huh she was just at sea and she just she said to me like there's no you know there's no like formula there's no there's no there's no ritual that I'm supposed to be doing I could grab something from wherever and 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 do it but I would love for that she she was saying that she wanted there to be some kind of you know ritual that she could that she could grieve within she felt she felt quite lost, yeah. and of course, grief is, you know, loss. You do feel lost, but, but I think the idea of having a a grid, a, like a schedule, a ritual, is is so useful in all of these um, yeah. transitions. Like she found her birth ritual with me. You know, we worked on it for almost a year. She contacted me very early in her pregnancy. So, but as far as the the grieving ritual with her father, it took her a long time. Um, and during, that was during deep COVID, so she was pretty isolated as well. And and it's it's definitely one thing that we're missing. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely, I agree. I think that kind of idea of, like, being at sea, you know, you can feel, like, grief can feel like that, can't it? And... I don't know whether kind of ritual provides an anchor, so like it can still feel really wavy and rocky and and bumpy, but there's something that's that's anchoring. Um, yes, yeah. So you know, okay, I'm supposed to feel like this for a week, and then I'm going to feel another way, just to have some kind of a vessel yeah. to put it in. Yeah, um, and just like documenting, I think like sometimes we don't like we don't see the changes. We don't like realize like how how we are feeling. Like it all can feel overwhelming and all consuming. But I think sometimes yeah. like having having a way of documenting that you can you know well you know journaling's my my thing. You know certainly I look back in my journals and 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 I can tap into how I was feeling. Yeah you know on the days you know when I wrote any given page I can immediately tap into that and and that's got a way of also like you know showing how you can shift through things as well you can see that change in in the pages of of you know if if you journal so um I've seen pictures of you and a bunch of ladies jumping into barrels please talk to me about that (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so in one of the, one of the journaling sessions that I run online, um, one person who came had a, ha- had a farm and they're looking, they were looking at setting, <laughs> oh, 
had the baby wake up um and they had a they, they had a farm that they were looking at setting up into a to a campsite and she just said would you like to run a retreat here you know should we should we run a retreat and uh and I said yeah great and so we've, we've done it a couple of years now and um and her partner set up a um a, a company that make barrels for people to dip in so cold water dipping and uh and they have some on the campsite so they have yeah three three barrels set up that that we could dip in <laughs> throughout throughout the course of the weekend well that's definitely got me thinking because we are we actually have barrels in canada that we brought years ago oh. from Italy because we had a farm here and we had a, vine- a vineyard and we have barrels. So I think I might start dipping in my backyard Yeah, in um, Montreal. That's yeah, going to be yeah. a hoot. Everyone's, well, anyway, I live in the middle of the city yeah. of Montreal, so it'll be funny. Well, it's perfect. I think that's the, the, the whole idea of it, that people can, can dip in these barrels when they don't have access to lakes or rivers. Um, yeah. But yeah, they can just put it in the garden. So they've got a little seat in, so a little seat in and a little step up. Oh well, mine doesn't have a little seat, but I'm sure I'll I'll be able to figure something out. Yeah, no, I think you can. You'll, you'll be able to put one in. <laughs> yeah. So a final final um, thing that I ask all of the people that I speak to on my podcast is, if you had one word to share with all of our listeners, what would that word be? Um, that's really tricky isn't it do other people struggle with this yes some people want to say 10 words other people can't think think, of a word yeah I'm going to think my word's going to be curiosity I think that's the key really is just to be curious be curious lovely I wasn't expecting that that's perfect <laughs> about other people and about yourself <laughs> has anybody else chosen curiosity no you're a very uh you're a very curious person <laughs> <laughs> oh good I've chosen a word that nobody else has chosen I like that you've chosen a life that oh. nobody else has chosen I have, yeah. <laughs> Seem to have done. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. So much. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed our chats. Well, we were lucky we had two. Technology uh, provided us with two opportunities to chat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. 